listening to ESL Talk, a podcast made for English teachers by English teachers. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of ESL Talk. We are your hosts. I'm Faye, and this is Daniel. Last week we reviewed different options available for ESL teachers and how they can expand and develop themselves into other areas beyond the traditional ESL roles. And today we will be discussing the topic of inclusivity in the ESL classroom. When it comes to our students, how can we provide inclusivity for all of them? Right. Yeah. How can we make them feel safe, supported, and nurtured during our classes? And how can we provide them opportunities and an atmosphere where they can flourish? So I'm really excited to be able to speak to our guest today, Tyson Seaburn. Tyson is a researcher, author, and EMI lecturer, and assistant academic director at New College, University of Toronto. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing more on his research and expertise on identity and inclusivity in the ESL classroom. Yeah, it's a great topic, and it's something that I think we all should consider as ESL teachers and educators. I think even when teaching one-on-one or mm-hmm. small groups, even bigger classes, this is an area of teaching that we all need to think about、um, when it comes to our teaching approach. Yeah, that's actually a really important consideration.、Um, so let us start today by、um, talking about our thoughts and ideas on these topics of inclusivity and identity.、Um, so Daniel, in a teaching context, what does inclusivity and identity mean to you? Yeah, this is a great question.、Um, the majority of the teaching that I do is with adult learners. I do have a few、um, younger learners, but generally, when it comes to inclusivity, it's you know making sure your classes, the way you teach, the materials that you、um, put together, that they're obviously applicable to everyone, and that they try to include everyone. Um, so for some of the classes I teach, I have a lot of international students, and I'll always make efforts to include something from their language, from their culture, maybe from、mm-hmm. their backgrounds,、um, because we want to make sure that everyone feels represented and included、um, within that class. So I'll always make an effort to do that.、Um, in terms of identity, I guess you know, as an ESL learner, there's an identity, but obviously as a human, most most importantly, they have an identity as well.、Mm-hmm. Um, so it, again, it's trying to create a safe place where students can feel like they're free to talk, you know, about whatever they want.、Um, that、mm-hmm. you know, if there's if there are some things that maybe are different from the culture that they're used to, that we can explain those and we can kind of address any misconceptions. And obviously, in terms of identity, that they feel like. It doesn't matter who they are, where they're from, what their background is, that they're welcome, and that the you know they have an opportunity to be nurtured and to flourish as well.、Um, mm-hmm. What about for you, Faye? Yeah, I feel like it's、um, sometimes it's so easy to just stick to the traditional materials that I find often tend to want to not only teach English but kind of. Teach the culture of English-speaking countries, you know, in a way, and it's it's so easy to just stick to that and just be teaching students what it's like to be be Canadian or what Canadians are like or what our culture is like, what our、um, Western culture is like, and、mm-hmm. and we just、uh, lose a lot of opportunity to include our students and to um, personalize um, the lesson、right. for them. And make them feel like their、um, identity also matters. So、mm-hmm. I always tried to, whenever teaching a lesson that's a little bit more about Canada or a little bit more about customs that we have here, just trying to、uh, get their input and what 
their culture is like and just comparing with what their own experiences are like. Um, and also in terms of identity and trying to, like you said, trying to make students feel like that's a safe space for them to be who they are. Um, I've had like students of all different um, cultures and backgrounds and even um, gender identities differed. And a lot of students uh, also sometimes come from cultures where this is sometimes not talked about. Mm. Um, even like um, even like things like same-sex marriage might not even be legal in their countries. Right. So I always try to, when I know I have a very diverse group um, at the beginning of, of our session together, just make it very clear that we're all going to be respectful to each other, that everybody is welcome and just uh, tolerance is key right and yeah. just making making that opening that up for students to know that they will be respected and accepted but also that the opposite will not be tolerated right right um, yeah that key word that you've just touched on is respect and mutual respect mm -hmm. i think that starts with us as the teacher kind of setting that um that kind of foundation for the rest of the mm -hmm. classes and kind of saying early on you know this is who we are as a group this is who we are as a class and we need to be aware and respectful and mindful of those differences. And as long as we discuss, you know, those differences and we talk about them in the right way, then that's fine. And that's actually a great way to learn as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So for you, Faye, when you're teaching groups on your courses, um, how do you ensure inclusivity and, and that your students can be themselves in the SL setting? This kind of, I guess, comes into materials a little bit more, but what's your approach, Faye? Yeah. Um, so like I said, just trying to at the beginning, very beginning, establish that safe space and just making sure that all of the students' opinions are valid. Um, and if if things come up, like certain comments that are a little bit tone deaf for cultural yeah. reasons yeah. or homophobic or even racist comments, mm -hmm. um, I try to um, turn that into a teachable moment, but also like showing them that that's not up for debate um like like the idea that oh uh, being gay is a sin that's not something we're going to discuss because if we're in canada we are that's not the way things work here i usually use mm -hmm. that as a, like i'd say as a way to establish like this is where you are in canada this gay marriage has been legal for years we have people of all different backgrounds we we have to respect each other and all that and but also trying not to be so, I'd say, um, aggressive towards that student that has that opinion, because they might come from a culture where they've never even talked about it before. And you want mm. to educate them, right? So trying yeah. to open their minds to that. And while at the same time, um, making sure that maybe somebody in the class uh, is, let's say, uh, queer or somebody who is feeling oppressed, and you mm. want to make them feel safe. Yeah. So there's a bit of a balance. So it's, it's, it can be quite tricky. But it is things that have come up in classes with me for me yeah. before. And I've had students come up to me afterwards thanking me for, let's say, um, like talking about it and let's say defending them or, you know, yep. things like that. Um, so I guess it's just uh, being tactful is is really important. But at the same time, there's like a limit to how much we can tolerate. And once you cross that line of respect, like you mentioned, mm. uh, things need to be talked about and they need to be um, addressed. Yeah, okay. I would say so. Yeah, I think I think you've touched on some really important points. And um, when it comes to my lesson planning as well, I'll always try to give students options so that they can talk about things that, that matter to them and that are important to them as well. Mm -hmm. So if they do feel comfortable, you know, talking about gender or sexuality or ethnicity or whatever it could be, then they mm -hmm. have that option to do that. So, for example, in some of my courses, I offer things like we talk about controversies. What are controversies? Are they the mm -hmm. same in different places? And um, that kind of leads to some really interesting discussions and some really interesting responses as well. Mm -hmm. um, so giving students the option, I think, is great so that they can actually, you know, talk about what, what matters to them. Uh, that's yeah. one approach that I would take. And then again, like you said, setting your standards very early. And then when things mm -hmm. do come up, don't look at it as a problem. Look at it as a discussion and mm -hmm. use that to kind of, you know, elicit maybe a wider response from the rest of the group and, and it's an you know, opportunity right yeah because Open i think yeah. i think for some students not that their beliefs or you know what they were taught when they were younger it's not necessarily wrong it's just different and you know again we have to just think about the culture and the society that we're in right now because even what students may think when they think of canada or the us or the uk 
those stereotypes or those mm-hmm. beliefs might be actually outdated. So, yeah. you know, it's our job to kind of bring it up to the right level as well. Yeah, that's true. Now, when it comes to teaching your university classes or one-to-one lessons, uh, does this change for you at all? Or do you do anything differently to promote this inclusivity? Yeah, one-to-one, you can kind of be a little bit more relaxed in terms of your discussion because you've built that level of trust with that student on a Mm one-to-one basis. Mm -hmm. So if things do come up, you can talk about them more frankly, I think, and a little bit more, um, you know, openly. Um, Mm -hmm. You have to be a little bit more tactful in a university class setting or in an adult class setting because, again, you don't know how someone might be feeling when you broach a certain topic or you don't know someone's experience or, you know, what they've gone through in their life. So Mm -hmm. it's it's again creating that environment where they can share that if they wish but if Mm -hmm. they don't want to then that's also fine as well so Mm -hmm. um just and again you know we don't like it you know like we will probably get into later we don't have to hammer home certain points and certain issues Mm -hmm. we can just touch on them and include them as a part of a lesson as one section of it it doesn't have to be what the whole class or the whole course becomes Mm -hmm. um it's just that these are some different things that you might not know about or you might not be used to or that you Mm -hmm. might not have seen or heard about before so I think that's a really important um, approach to take and that also helps build that rapport with your learners Um, and then hopefully leads to them asking questions because that's the best way that students are going to learn so if they have that opportunity to ask questions and again Mm -hmm. it's a, a nice way for them to to kind of know more and learn more and feel more comfortable in that setting as well that's true yeah that's a good point yeah. So Faye, did, did you ever consider these issues when you first started teaching? You know, obviously in Brazil, it was quite a, mm-hmm. not that long ago, but a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you think about these issues at, at the start of your teaching career? And and if they did change, when and why did this change? Yeah, I, I don't think I, I did it early on, but I ended up learning from experience. First of all, I had a couple of coworkers who ended up actually having um, issues with students because they they were... Um, they were uh, gay teachers and uh, other teachers that maybe the topic came up in their class and students started making homophobic comments. And then those teachers felt really uncomfortable because they were being personally attacked and often the students didn't realize it, or maybe they did and they, they, they did it on purpose. And that's, I think I remember that was the first time I ever thought about how that could affect somebody directly like that. A a teacher and a student could not feel safe maybe in their classes because of that. And I remember after that, like we had sort of a a talk, uh, all the staff talked and we talked about what could be done and how we could approach it and what we could all do as as a group, you know, to tackle these issues. And from then on, I just kind of made a more of a point to be very clear about what was and yes. wasn't tolerated in my classes, because I always taught yeah. adult learners as well. Yeah, Go when ahead. I started teaching in South Korea was, you know, it's a very different society to what I was mm-hmm. used to in the UK. And again, those exactly. kind of issues were kind of, you know, I got some strange looks when I brought them up, and maybe people mm-hmm. were like, a little bit confused. But again, you know, I tried to educate and be open and be kind mm-hmm. of showing that there are you know, differences in the way that people live and the choices that people mm-hmm. make, and that's fine and that's okay. Um, but definitely there was some resistance, but that early experience helped me to kind of realize that it is important to talk about these things and to address them and to obviously make sure that our planning process and our approach includes mm-hmm. that within that as well. Yeah, it was a, it was interesting because like you said, it, it, I mean, I started teaching almost 15 years ago mm-hmm. and it was in Brazil. It was very, very different from what the world is like now, but also from what Canada was like 15 years ago. Because when I moved to Canada, I could definitely, that was a huge difference between um, the way people behaved and, and people's beliefs and all that. And people were just able to make comments like that. Like in Brazil, it was common to just use the word uh, gay or, or a, a synonym to the word like faggot was like super common for people to use, you know? And when I moved here, I'm like, okay, so good. People don't use those words negatively. Mm. They don't. Uh, so that was already a huge difference. Uh, so when I moved here, I felt like I had more to back me up. Like in class, when the topic would come up, I could, I could basically say that's not okay in Canada. You know, people do not talk like that in Canada. Mm-hmm. And this is why. And, you know, this is the law. And whereas in Brazil, I felt like people felt students felt like this was up for discussion you know whereas in my mind it wasn't up for discussion um the fact that you should respect others so in a way we have it a bit easier here 
Yep. But at the same time, it's easy to just uh, get in that comfort zone and then don't touch on that, you know, and don't yeah. bring it up. I feel like we do have that duty to educate our students in that sense as well, especially when we're working with students who are going to immigrate and Absolutely. live in Canada or live yeah. in the UK and, and stuff like that, right? Yeah, exactly. It's already been a really insightful discussion um, to open up the first part of our episode today. Yeah, let's now hear from Tyson, who will share his knowledge and experience in these areas of inclusivity and identity. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Tyson. We're very excited to welcome you to ESL Talk. Hi there. How are you? Doing great. Thanks. Great. Yeah, we're very excited. And we've already begun sharing some of our own experiences and ideas on the topics of inclusivity, identity for ESL teaching. And we're really looking forward to hearing your insights and all about your knowledge in these areas. Well, I hope I have something good to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you will. Sure you will. Yeah. So Tyson, could you just briefly share with us um, your teaching journey so far and your motivations for getting into teaching initially? Sure. I mean, I started a long time ago. So in 1998, I, um, I had graduated from my undergrad at university. I did a philosophy degree. And um, that didn't seem to really be leading to too much work. And so I was trying to figure out really what I wanted to do with my life. And of course, you know, throughout my entire life, I, I liked teaching or I liked the idea of being a teacher. But um, in terms of having like a teachable or going to teacher's college, it didn't really seem like the, the most opportune plan. And so I worked in a private um, computer college in London, Ontario immediately after I graduated. So that gave me a little bit of a sense of what it was like to be in the classroom. And then I didn't really enjoy computer um, teaching so much. Um, and a friend of mine had already gone to Seoul to teach English. And I decided to follow her there, basically. And so that's what I did. And um, I spent uh, about six years in Seoul at private language schools and then at a university and did some private tutoring, things like that, you know, the sort of typical thing you would do over mm -hmm. there. Yep. Um, and that gave me, you know, a good foundation of writing materials or, or supplementing materials and, and sort of getting my feet wet in terms of teaching. And then I came back to Canada in 2003 and um, Worked at private language schools here, kind of did some managerial stuff. Then I worked at a book distributor for ELT. 
and eventually um, landed in the role that I'm in now, which is at the University of Toronto in an EAP program. Mm -hmm. And so I think sort of each one of these roles basically taught me something about um, being inclusive or not, maybe, mm -hmm. and uh, gave me some experience with regards to teaching materials and how to write materials for a wider group of people to use. So sort of that's kind of the trajectory I've been on. Oh yeah, it's, it's a lot of varied experience which must have really helped you. But what really uh, first appealed to you about studying this topic deeper, like the topic of inclusivity and identity in teaching? Well, I have a vested interest being part of the LGBTQ community myself. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's really the impetus for why I'm interested mm -hmm. in it. And, you know, growing up in, in like a small town in Ontario in the 80s, I have firsthand experience for what it's like not to be represented and not mm -hmm. to see yourself and um, the sort of damaging effect that can have on one's sense of value. Mm -hmm. But um, when I was initially teaching, I didn't really um, hold the importance of being queer as part of my identity so strongly at the time. And I think that was because, you know, we were conditioned as kids to live in a heteronormative society and to value that and to place right. an importance on fitting into that. Mm -hmm. And so I think I was trying to pander to a heteronormative audience, even what well into my twenties when I started teaching. Um, mm -hmm. But what I did realize was that um, after I started to, to get more and more students who identified as LGBTQ or even even one, maybe at the very beginning, I started to realize the power dynamic that's involved in the classroom, especially being a, a teacher to learners and how you're, you know, you're always sort of saying, I'm a learner myself. And, you know, you're supposed mm -hmm. to value that. And you're supposed to like show this, the, the learners this, um, you don't know everything and you're a model for a wide variety of things. And yeah. that extends to your um, approach to valuing identity. And mm -hmm. so I realized a little bit late, um, if I'm if I'm honest, mm -hmm. that I am a model for queer students. And as such, I need to do a better job in terms of valuing identity mm -hmm. um, and trying to create practice and pedagogy that um, does that um, mm -hmm. and includes more 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 students. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, why do you think this is, it's more important nowadays than ever that all teachers recognize and consider these factors when planning and teaching ESL classes? Because I mean, even though let's say I'm not directly part of the community, I feel like I have a, a need to do that as well, you know, and, 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 and be an ally as we say nowadays, right? Mm -hmm. So why do you think that that's important for all teachers to consider that and to incorporate this when they're teaching? Well, I think it's because, you know, we are all in education and we all, you know, have a role to play in making our students feel safe and valued mm. um, and represented. And, right. you know, for the queer community alone to do this is just impractical, basically. Mm -hmm. And so I think if we as teachers sort of walk the walk that we talk, you know, and mm -hmm. say that we value our students and we foster a safe environment and, and um, you know, want to have meaningful language practice activities or, mm -hmm. or opportunities, I mean, we all need to sort of work together in order to improve the, the practices that we do. And especially each of us has, you know, a limited amount of power in this capacity, you know, like we have the power inside our classrooms, more or less. And sometimes we have power to help design or buy materials and so on, but we, you know, can't do this alone. And so right. I would argue that everybody needs to be involved in this practice and, and should be just simply because, you know, it's, it's a humane we thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. And it, that's a, it's an important point that you bring up. Like we, we, even if you are not part of it directly, your students might be part of that community. And if mm -hmm. we feel like we are educators, we need to educate everyone and include everyone. Yeah, that's a great yeah. point. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, it's really important, especially, you know, coming in and teaching a class, 
you know, you don't necessarily know everyone's story. And by building mm -hmm. those relationships and getting to know everyone's story, that also helps, I think, with the kind of the bond between fellow students and also between you and the teacher as well. Um, so when we talk about inclusive materials, what exactly are we talking about if we want to get into the real nuts and bolts of it, Tyson? It's pretty much um, an approach to the materials so that the students see themselves in the materials or, or versions of themselves or potential of themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think when, when we're talking about young learners, you know, it seems more obvious that um, seeing gay people or, or any underrepresented group, quite frankly, um, and a wide variety of them is a good thing, you know, because you can then see this is how the world values me. You know, they see a wide variety of different types of LGBTQ people and I can do a, a whole bunch of different things. I'm not just, you know, one thing, mm -hmm. but even as young adults or, you know, I teach university age kids mm -hmm. basically, or people, I should say. And um, at that time, you're just sort of sorting out your identity. You know, you're just starting to figure yeah. out who you are and, and what makes you tick and, and what you feel comfortable with and, and so on. And to see that um, there are successful or there are, you know, people are going through the same struggles as everybody else, or there are, you know, any kind of situation that's possible instead of just one straight white heteronormative sort right. of default um, makes you realize that you, you have more potential than maybe you, you, you thought initially. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of a long-winded sort of answer, mm -hmm. I suppose. But what I'm trying to say basically is um, we inclusive practices is basically being able to see yourself or see potential of yourself um, in the materials and in, in the way that um, the teachers and other learners interact with you so that you don't feel as though you're pushed into a box or you're silenced or you're invisible mm -hmm. and you can have meaningful language um, learning activities or discussions yeah. or, or practices about yourself. Yeah, it makes no. sense because we talk so much about personalizing content, right? That, right? That's a huge part of learning and of the lesson plan. And if we are not making it personal for everyone, then yeah, it's not yeah. inclusive. Mm -hmm. You know, I, th I think I think it's good to keep in mind that um, some teachers who are not queer anyway often don't have in the forefront of their mind is when when you can't see in your classroom obviously the the gay student, mm -hmm. you sort of make an assumption that there isn't one necessarily in, mm -hmm. in your class. And okay. you you talk about queer people as though there's some outside group right. and not us. Mm -hmm. you know? And um, I think what we should do with any underrepresented group, whether it is um, about being queer or racialized or mm -hmm. um, an ability issue or body type or, or whatever it is, we should assume there are people in our class that have these hidden identities or certainly not ones that are you know, obvious. Mm -hmm. And think how our materials represent or don't or what they say about that group of people. Mm -hmm. And how, you know, if you were one, how would you feel if you saw mm -hmm. you know, what you're teaching or, or not teaching basically? Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at things too. I hadn't thought of that. Like just prepare as if you had all these people as part of your audience, yeah. Well, and yeah, and you you probably do. Actually. You do, yeah, at, yeah. at one point or another, yeah, very true. Yeah. This kind of ties into the next thing I wanted to say, which was, you know, especially in Canada and probably a lot of other countries, a lot of our students are international students, so maybe their cultural backgrounds or their upbringings are significantly different to, you know, maybe a Canadian one nowadays. So what are some of the approaches and considerations that teachers can take to start, you know, breaking down those kind of um, barriers or maybe uh, I would say bringing awareness to some of these differences that might exist um, in the classroom? Well, I think basically you want to go from a kind of organic perspective. I don't want to force mm -hmm. of course. a situation. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think we want to, if we're, if we're planning on the idea that there are minority groups or identities in our classrooms, even if we can't see them, then that's going to impact how you talk about different topics or how, what language you bring into the activities or the materials that you bring in as well. And so 
each one of those things is going to include, you know, queer identities and black identities and disabled identities and so on. And so the students aren't, aren't going to like come from it um, where you're just saying, hey, today we're going to talk about, you know, gay marriage. Like that's right. not what it is, right? Mm-hmm. It's just these identities and stories and experiences are incorporated, incorporated. into the classroom. Mm-hmm. And so it's just going to kind of come up um, mm-hmm. in terms of exposure. So like, a, I think a good example would be, you know, I, I designed a, a sample course book unit a couple of years ago where I was really just trying to show publishers that you can do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um in it, I had an audio file of a mother of a non-binary um, child mm-hmm. who was at university. And the mother was really just speaking about her child and the struggles her child was having with pressures at university and exam mm-hmm, time and mm-hmm. how she didn't get to talk to them very often. And just her use of them and they okay, within yeah. this conversation alone was just a very simple and organic way of bringing mm-hmm. in um, a different type of identity. And so the unit isn't focused on right. pronouns. It's mm-hmm. just the pronouns came up. And yeah. so I think one way to go about exposing, if you want to call it that, um, different cultures to, you know, sort of what's normal here, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, I'm not even sure if that's the right word, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Is yeah is just including a a variety of people. And that inclusion as a sort of matter of fact, Mm -hmm. you know, existence is going to say something to the students about, you know, what is valued and who is valued here, you know? And oftentimes I find that that can be even more educational than planning a whole lesson around the topic because it's not, you're not even opening it up for discussion. It's not like, is this right or wrong? Should people be able to use No, this is a fact, right? This yeah. is a pronoun we use and people can adopt it. And yeah, I, I find myself and you can let me know if you think that that's a good strategy for other teachers to do as well. Um, lately, just trying to incorporate, like if I'm searching for an image of a couple for a lesson on marriage, I will put a same sex couple as just like illustration of the for the lesson, not as mm-hmm. a point of focus. Mm-hmm. Or um, yeah, I, I recently did a lesson on the history of marriage and the video talked about the history of all kinds of marriages, including same sex marriage, mm-hmm. but not necessarily making the lesson about that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just like mm-hmm. you said, including that representation, I think can be something that a lot of teachers can start with mm-hmm. and maybe feel less daunting, right? For them. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, when you when you look at sort of the simplest approach which is usualization Mm -hmm. it's the you know you you kind of look at your input so like the text the the audio the video the images that you include and Mm -hmm. when you look at them sort of as a whole what do those things say about the people you value in Mm -hmm. in in your classroom or yourself or, or society in general. Mm-hmm. And if your answer to that is, you know, straight white people and that's it, then, you know, you're not really doing a very good job at representation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, Even with gender roles, we notice this with more modern course books, right? You see a picture of a doctor. It's not only a white man, mm-hmm. right? It's, Hopefully it's not yeah. always anyway. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> So you've just kind of touched on one simple approach. Um, what are some other kind of, not easier, that isn't the right word, but what are some other simple approaches that teachers can use to promote and foster this kind of environment, you know, where all students have equal opportunities? Because as you mentioned before, it might not be, you know, aware, it might not be apparent to the teacher. So how do we kind of create that environment where we have that level of, of you know, comfort and that level of kind of safety within the classroom? What are some things we can do from that perspective? Probably at the very beginning, it's worthwhile, like when you're first meeting your students to like set up, you know how you set up a kind of class contract sometimes. Mm-hmm. That um, that can be a good opportunity for you and your class to sort of negotiate um, expectations of the, of the teacher and of the learners towards um, respect and um, tolerance and, and these kind of things. And... That often comes actually 
in some institutions as an institutional policy to begin with, like you, you don't even really even have to go through that process. But um, like at the University of Toronto, we have an inclusivity EDI basically policy that we can just sort of pick, uh, copy and paste. Mm -hmm. And then we can refer to that throughout the term. But if you don't have that, uh, you know, at whatever context it is that you're teaching, you can create that kind of right. one at the beginning with your, your learners. And that gets them invested in the idea of respect and how you communicate with one another. And, and what do you do if there's a, a sort of conflict? And so each one of those kind of policies while it may not seem like it covers representation or EDI, it does really because you you know if something comes up where there's a conflict or you know a homophobic remark or something like that, you can refer back to this contract which mm -hmm. said you know everybody agreed you're not mm -hmm. going to say things that are disrespectful or if something hurts some in, in particular person or or ranks someone higher than someone else you're not going to do that and this is how you're going to solve that problem mm -hmm. so i would say like that kind of negotiating tactic at the beginning might be good mm -hmm. but otherwise i mean i do really think it's a about educating yourself first mm -hmm. so you know learning about what type of vocabulary is acceptable to refer to different groups of people and right. you do that by asking people like me or you do that by you know, listening to the people within the community talk about what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. You know, it's not just as simple of looking up a website. I mean, sometimes it is, but not always. Mm -hmm. It takes a little bit of time to learn about a different group of people and how they refer to themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, educating yourself is probably, you know, step number one if, before you do the contract thing. Right. I mean, even myself, you know, when I was writing the book, um, how to write inclusive materials, I had to like look outside just the queer community to find out, you know, how neurodivergent um, people or teachers refer to each other, you know, and it was, you know, eye opening. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to just Google this one thing and then sort of yeah. figure it out. Like I watched a lot of videos. I, wa I read a lot of articles. I bookmarked tons and tons of things. And you know, you should see my, my Chrome bookmarks. There's just so many categories of things nowadays. So that is the sort of put in the work first, but then you really do just look at your materials, I think, and, and see what it is that your materials are saying about who's valued and who's not valued right. and, and, and go through it and just mm -hmm. add and supplement um, wherever you can. The, the usualization approach is probably the easiest um, to start off with because Stop me if I'm going on too long, but it's it's about increasing frequency of a wide variety of identities in your materials mm -hmm. so that there isn't just one opportunity to represent a gay male, for example, because when you only have that one opportunity in your materials, mm -hmm. you're more likely going to reduce an entire group of people to one representative and that maybe stereotypical or a trope or a you know a not a very nice one for example mm -hmm. or it might be you know the completely whitewashed beige version that is going to appeal to the most people and, and mm -hmm. certainly not super realistic mm -hmm. so with usualization the whole point of usualization is to make identities usual right that's why mm -hmm. it's called that and so you add in a, you know individual queer people um, with different characteristics and different personalities and different experiences as much as possible alongside everybody else uh, mm -hmm. so that it just becomes you know a very common thing to see and everybody's represented differently so yeah. that's probably the easiest sort of way to start things out I would say and if you can't do that sorry mm -hmm. if you can't do that with your materials yourself or you're not sure even you know if your materials are excluding people, then you bring that into the learners um, as well and have the learners look through the materials and say, hey, mm -hmm. what do these materials say to you about who's important and who's not important? Right. Yeah. Do you see yourself and your family in these materials? I mean, chances are some will and some won't. And so, yeah. you know, you can get some buy-in from the learners even that mm -hmm. way saying like, why, why am I seeing like blonde haired, blue eyed white people in this family unit when my family you know i'm an yeah. immigrant here and i don't look anything like them yeah right. so yeah. you know that's 
Yeah, that's it can even become a, a teachable moment. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And that was actually the question I was going to ask you. So about the terms you use in your book, um, how to write inclusive material. So you talked a little bit now about usualization, mm-hmm. um, make, making something become more usual, right? Um, mm-hmm. And can you tell us a little bit about, more about disruption that you mm-hmm. talk about as well? Sure. So like disruption is is complementary to usualization. I, I wouldn't consider them two completely separate or isolated. Mm-hmm approaches. They're just, they can work well with each other. Usualization, I think, is one that can apply across all your materials um, all the time. Um, Sort of, I'll just give a parallel, you know, instead of having a unit only on environmentalism, Mm -hmm. have green aspects to every lesson. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And similarly, instead of having one unit be about you know, gay people or pride or whatever it is that you want to talk about, you spread everybody throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not possible to do um, and try to focus on a particular characteristic of a group of people. So one criticism of usualization is that you may be sort of ignoring the different experiences of a particular group of people um, mm-hmm. and that can be erasing as well, you know? Mm -hmm. So like the fact that um, queer people have had a different life experience in society than straight people is a a fact of society. And Mm -hmm. to suggest that we're exactly the same as everybody else in every single way is is erasure in in a sense too. Mm -hmm. And you're sort of losing an opportunity to, to talk about this. So a more disruptive approach really um, focuses on a status quo situation that is creating a barrier for a particular group of people and connecting that, you know, barrier to something that everybody can relate to in a sense so that everybody can then try to fix it or try to change it in some way. So, I mean, that's, that's in a nutshell what, um, a more disruptive approach is, and I'll give an example in a second. Mm-hmm. But if you think about um, a metaphor that I use in the book, which is a is a river, and you think how a river sort of flows, um, if you imagine that that river um, is flowing with lots of garbage and pollution and so on, that's not so good, right? It just keeps going and going and going. But if you dip your hand into it to pull out a piece of garbage, you're sort of disrupting that flow, right? Mm -hmm. For the better, right? But one hand isn't really going to do it that much. It's going to take a a long time for that to happen. So if you got a whole bunch of people in there pulling garbage out, the, the flow of the river would be sort of temporarily stopped, at least so that you can you know, clean it up and so on. And I think the disruptive approach has that kind of similar feeling to it. You're disrupting the flow of what's sort of a status quo, or what's um, just, if you don't do anything, it's just going to keep going, keep going in the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's sort of why it's called a disruptive approach, I think. But um, yeah, yeah. So, but the, an example of that would be like, um, If you were talking about how um, society views non-binary people and how valued society is to non-binary people, and you want to bring in non-binary examples or or experiences um, to show an inequity or a way in which there's a barrier in society, Um, for that group of people because of course your learners might experience that as well or you yourself might be in that situation Um, you would think then of a situation in society where that causes a problem for for non-binary people Mm. and one comes to mind which is public washrooms for example so you know if you look around public washrooms um, you typically see male and female you might see an all-family one Mm -hmm. you know or an all gender one, but in any situation, there's still something that is, you know, defining that you go here or you go here or you don't go anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're non-binary, you might fit into that I don't go anywhere category. And, uh, you know, if you go into the all gender one or the all, you know, people might 
suspect or think one thing or the other. If you go into the female bathroom, because that's the way you present, you might not be accepted there. If you go into the male one, you might not be accepted there. Sometimes um, you might just hold it and, you know, wait until you get home. Mm -hmm. So anyway, there's a whole bunch of issues that sort of arise. And if you bring in these sort of um, experiences from a narrative that's authentic, I mean, you're not going to create this necessarily into your classroom, then you're, what you're doing is you're alerting the students to the fact that there is this problem that exists for a group of people. Mm-hmm. But um, if you have a student who's non-binary, they might recognize that and go like, oh, you know, finally someone's recognizing that I have this issue. Yeah. doesn't mean you're inviting them to like, you know, speak about it yeah, and yeah. become the spotlight or anything. It's just mm-hmm. you're representing them. Mm-hmm. And what you want to do then is you want to get these the, the other students to... A, see that there's that problem and then think, okay, well, what's a problem, you know, kind of similar to that, that you might face, even if you're not non-binary. And one that comes to mind for me is sort of the ridiculousness of the washroom signs for men and for women sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's not as serious of a problem, but if you, if you take a look at, you know, how women are depicted on the Mm -hmm. women's washroom signs off, you know, Mm-hmm. At least it's with a dress, but sometimes it could just be very sexist ones like, you know, a shopping bag. Yeah, right? that's the girl's one. And, you know, a football, that's the boy's one. <laughs> I mean, I'm a cisgender man, so I'm going to go into the male washroom, but I I hate football. I don't ever play it. it I don't identify with that in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And it's not like the bathroom sign is preventing me from going there, but it certainly doesn't represent me. And similarly, there's, you know, a non-binary person also has issues with the washroom. And so we're just trying to make some connection where, you know, there might be a problem um, for a a wider group of people that non-binary people to some degree also face. And so when we see that there's this connection, um, it sort of gives us, a sense of like, okay, well, there's a problem. Let's try to fix it. So mm-hmm. let's try to fix the bathroom situation for everybody. One for cisgender people is trying to figure out really how can we make washroom signs, for example, that are you know more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Or for um, non-binary people and transgender people and everybody, maybe we can just do away with bathrooms like that altogether and figure out another solution that's exactly. going to be better. Yeah. In any case, this is taking um, a focus on a characteristic of an underrepresented group of people and how that is not being served by society and trying to find a connection with other people so that we can sort of together use language to talk about ways in which we can solve this problem. So mm-hmm. that is a very sort of more detailed, I guess, example right. of what a disruptive approach is, but it's just one example. So, I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the bottom line is you look for a status quo that is really not serving a group of people and you bring in experiences of the underrepresented people that um, show why it isn't serving that group of people and how harmful it is to, to their value of themselves. And then you find connections between that and everybody else mm-hmm. um, and then try to fix it together. No, it's very clear now, like with that example, I can really get a picture of yeah. w- what we could do in practice, right? Which is Hopefully. a big yeah. question. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's, a mean, really, yeah, it's a really simple way we can involve everyone and get everyone invested in, you know, positive change for everyone. It doesn't have to be about a certain group. You know? Right. It's just wonderful. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we're, you know, the other thing about it is that um, we're using meaningful sort of language learning and, and practice have opportunities you know, instead of talking about, you know, the latest movie, for example, Mm -hmm. you know, like this is why limit yourself to only that, you know, students want to talk about things that are more Mm -hmm. in depth and, you know, not everybody does, which is why you won't do it every single day, but, you know, not everybody wants to talk about movies or food or whatever. Right. You know, for a month. It gets kind of boring after a while. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Exactly. Wonderful. It's some really interesting insight. And I've really learned a lot um, from mm-hmm. speaking with you today, Tyson. So yeah, why can our listeners find out more about your work and research, um, you know, your website, social media, et cetera? Um, yep. So 
like on social media, I'm pretty prolific, I would say. So it's it doesn't take that much effort to find me. <laughs> yep. So if you if you just Google me, basically you're gonna find everything. But um, I'm at Seaburnt in every social media, basically, right. except TikTok. I don't really do TikTok. Anyway. I don't think any, any of us does it. <laughs> well, you never know. We're not that cool yet. Go. Yeah. yeah <laughs> um but otherwise, yeah, I mean, my website, 4C.ca, is, has been around forever. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. It's not updated too, too often, quite frankly. But I have put another one with the release of the book um, called path.4C.ca, which is a little sparse at the moment. But what I'm planning to do is give experiences of my own and other people who are underrepresented as a sort of... Um, foundation as to why I created the book in the first place mm-hmm. and why I thought that was necessary. And right. in in doing so, hopefully put a few lesson plans up there mm-hmm. that are shareable and, and inclusive. And there's one there now at the moment or two, oh, that's maybe. Great. Yeah. So that's, that's basically where you can find me. That's Wonderful. great. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was a real Thank pleasure. Thank you so much. This was yeah very insightful. And I think our listeners have probably learned a lot as well. Cool. I hope so. Thanks mm-hmm. for inviting me. Tyson, thanks again for taking the time to share this powerful and relevant element of ESL teaching. Right. If we can involve our students as much as possible, give them lots of opportunities to express themselves, this will definitely result in more positive experiences for both the student and the teacher. So as always, we would love to hear your feedback. You can get in touch with us on Instagram at ESL Talk Podcast, or you can send us an email to Podcast at gmail.com. And also you can join us on Instagram at I'm Daniel Teacher. Or you can find me at Learning with Faye, if Faye is F-E-Y. And we'll see you next week for another new episode of ESL Talk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for even more ESL teaching content.